0: All right, welcome back uh, to Rhythms of Grace. Glad to have you uh, join in with us again for this week. As always, if this content is helpful for you, it'd be helpful for us if you would like, comment, and share because uh, that lets us know that this is worthwhile, that this is uh, helpful to you, and that it also helps us uh, spread this content so that we can be more helpful to others. But uh, in recent weeks, we've looked at the rhythms of praying and of fasting, of resting in Jesus. And today we're gonna be looking at the rhythm of uh, gathering for worship. Um, As we record this, Uh, It is um, the beginning of June 2020, which um, is a really interesting time to be talking about gathering together uh, for worship. By the time you watch this video, we will have already shared uh, our church's plan to begin regathering in just a few short weeks um, but uh, just not for myself, I think could speak for many pastors across the board, this is just a really weird time uh, as the church. Um, we plan and we prepare and we try to do our best as pastors to strategize for um, any scenario that we possibly can. Uh, and yet, I'm not sure any of us ever prepared for a scenario where we might not be able to gather uh, for worship. And so we anticipate the opportunity to be able to do that again in just a few weeks. Um, and I wanna talk about it today because it is one of the most important uh, formative spiritual practices uh, that we participate in week in and week out that the Lord uses to shape us and mold us uh, into his image and for his glory. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was talking to my grandfather who's uh, in his late 80s, and he has been serving in full-time gospel ministry Uh, for over 70 years and um, when I talked to him about some of the challenges he's been facing the last few months, he he just said straight up out of all the the health challenges he's facing and and, uh, just difficulty just being a little bit more isolated, he said, Taylor, the worst part of all of this is that I've just not been able to go to church. He he couldn't recall a time in almost 90 years of life uh, where he had multiple Sundays in a row. Uh, where he just did not gather together with the people of God. And it was just taking a toll on him. And so I just was tearing up as I was listening to him talk. You could just hear his desire uh, to be with the people of God. And I'm sure a lot of us have probably felt those emotions in the last few months of so desperately wanting to gather uh, with the people of God. And it's because God has wired us this way. He's created us this way and this is what he's called us to be doing uh, as his followers. Uh, the Greek word for church, ecclesia it simply means called out ones or assembly or gathering. Christians are people who have been called out of the world and we've been united as one body in the name of Jesus Christ. So a fundamental essential component of our identity is that we be people who assemble that we be people who gather together. Gathering, just like our praying, just like our reading, just like our fasting, uh, should be a natural overflow that occurs uh, out of a heart that is well rested and satisfied in Jesus Christ. We go to Acts 2, the picture of the early church. We get a snapshot of what the early church looked like and and what they did when they gathered. Verse 42 says, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and, and it says that awe came upon every single soul. And we see uh, later in the New Testament that as they gathered together, they would sing. Uh, that's in uh, Ephesians and Colossians. So uh, as we gather, we gather each week to orient our heart and minds towards the Lord, to be shaped by the gospel through song, through the preaching and teaching of the word. Uh, and as we sing over one another, which is a ministry to each other that edifies the body, uh, we're being equipped to take the gospel into the world, to partake in communion, to pray, to celebrate the work that God is doing in our church family in our community. So our aim in corporate worship is to be getting our eyes off of ourselves, to be reminded that we are part of a greater body and something that's bigger than just us uh, as we uh, celebrate collectively our identity in Jesus Christ. But like all of the other rhythms, like our praying, like our reading, like our fasting, we are not after forced discipline. We're after unforced rhythm. Uh, Understand this, Jesus does not want our begrudging, joyless church attendance. Again, that, that's been me sometimes, that's probably been you sometimes, but that is not what the Lord is after. It's us just dragging ourselves uh, into a building. As we're grounded from in the gospel, and as we root our identity in Christ, we'll move from that place of begrudging duty and into delight as we participate in what God has designed for us. So, so let's look at, at one of the, the clearest passages about gathering that we find in the New Testament, which is in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 through 23 And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. So we see the writer of Hebrews telling us first here that we gather to be reminded of the gospel we gather to be reminded of the gospel. At this point in the book of Hebrews, the author has been painting a picture of how Jesus has become our high priest. Jesus has made and himself become the final atoning sacrifice for sins. And he stands between God and his people as mediator, the one who's brought reconciliation between God and his people. And in the Jewish religious system, the holy place could only be entered by the high priest. The high priest would go in there to make atonement for the sins of the people, to present a sacrifice, he would walk through a large veil. And once a year, I would go To the presence of the Lord to make that sacrifice and the gospel accounts tell us that at the death of Jesus, his final moments on the cross, he cried out the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment that veil was torn in two. That veil being torn in two uh, shows us that what Christ did for us at the cross, because of this we have unhindered access and fellowship to the Father. Because Jesus is both our faithful high priest who's made sacrifice for our sins, and he is the lamb who has sacrificed himself. And because that veil has been torn in two, we can draw near to him in the confidence of knowing that nothing can separate his love. The writer of Hebrews uses the atoning work of Jesus. He uses the atoning work of Jesus to establish his case for the significance of the worship gathering. So as we pass through those doors regularly, or maybe over the last few months, as we tune in online, Uh, What we're being reminded of in that moment is how the veil of the temple was torn in two so that we could unhindered enter into and access the presence of the Lord. So in light of that, how should we worship? Uh, Jesus answers this in a dialogue with a woman at the well in John chapter four. He he tells her that God is spirit and those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. The language that the reformers used a few centuries ago to talk about uh, our worship was that we should be people who worship with inflamed hearts and informed minds. We tend to gravitate towards one of these two extremes in our worship where we wanna be people who are about deep uh, theological, doctrinally heavy Bible study, or we wanna be about passion and emotion and expression. Uh, But the reformers did not see these things as being uh, an either or conversation, they saw it as a both and the deeper we dive into God's Word, the deeper we dive into doctrine, into theology, into the the timeless foundations, the mysteries of God's Word, the more that will drive our passion, our enthusiasm in worship. J.C. Ryle has written about public worship in terms of how it shapes our daily rhythms and walk with Christ. He said, the best public worship is that which produces the best private Christianity. The best church services for the congregation are those which make its individual members most holy at home and alone. Most holy at home and alone. If we want to know whether our own public worship is doing us good, let us try it by these tests. Does it quicken our conscience? Does it send us to Christ? Does it add to our knowledge? Does it sanctify our life? If it does, we may depend on it. It is worship of which we have no cause to be ashamed. The best public worship is that which produces the best private Christianity. So the rhythm of public worship, if it's done well, will shape our day-to-day rhythms in our walk with the Lord. It will instruct us and equip us for prayer, for the study of the word, for fasting, for the ministry of advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's the picture that we see in Acts 2. They gather together, there's prayer, there's teaching, there's fellowship, there's communion, there's giving, there's praise, there's singing, as they're actually gathering together daily uh, so, so it's not just like a, uh, just a Sunday morning thing where they were getting together. It says that daily they would gather both in the temple uh, and in their homes. And as they served one another in the community, the gospel uh, was advanced before, uh, outside of the four walls of a building. The gospel touched every area of their lives. So when they gather together for prayer, we see prayer as an act of faith where we express dependency on God. We turn our eyes away from ourselves into the Lord. In preaching, we center on this message of the gospel. Within our church family, we preach and teach the Bible with a conviction that it all points uh, to Christ. So uh, we teach verse by verse so that um, as as I'm teaching and and as as someone else is preaching, what we're doing simultaneously is actually teaching you how to study your Bible because we want our public worship to help shape your private devotion. So we engage the word of God and our preaching and teaching have a much greater emphasis uh, on what God has done for us rather than what we do for God. That's being centered on the gospel. In communion, we we do this to be reminded of what God has done for us on the cross. In our giving, we recognize that everything that has been given to us, whether it's time, treasure, talent, is a gift from God that should be stewarded for his glory, for the building up of his church and the advance of the gospel in the world. And then in our singing, that this is our role in singing with one another is the body of Christ. Ephesians 5, 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Every element of our worship gatherings, every element is, should, uh, should be pointing to the finished work of Christ, on the cross for our behalf. Even our singing is a ministry. We have a ministry to edify and to uplift one another with our voices. So we gather to be reminded of the gospel and the writer also says here that we gather to encourage one another. The, the bottom line is you know, we need to be challenged. We need to be challenged, we need to be provoked as the writer of Hebrews says to love and to, to good works. So uh, this word stir up that he uses is one of my favorite words in all of the Bible because it means uh, to provoke or annoy. We are to provoke and annoy one another to love and good works because our natural tendency as sinful people is to drift into apathy and indifference. Sunday should be the culmination of what it is we're experiencing on our own, Monday through Saturday, but the bottom line is that there's going to be different points and times in our lives where we are going to drift into some sort of spiritual apathy and we're going to need to be stirred up. We're going to need brothers and sisters who provoke us and who annoy us when we're settling and when we become apathetic and become indifference. And it's a critical passage for us here because while we uh, lack a a thou shalt attend, um, don't find an an explicit thou shalt attend worship every single Sunday, church every Sunday, verse in the New Testament, we do see in this particular passage that some had clearly stopped gathering for worship. And the writer here tells them not to do this says, don't forsake this assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, as some who have been doing. So fundamental to our identity as followers of Christ, as the assembly, as the ecclesia, those who have been called out, fundamental to our identity is that we be people who gather. And we need to gather because we have an ongoing need to be reminded of the message of the gospel and to be stirred up to love and good works in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, While, especially during this season, I think it'd be easy to say it feels sufficient to stay at home and just kind of watch a sermon on your own just to get what you need. We're reminded from this passage that as believers who gather together that our gathering is not just about getting what I need. It's about giving what someone else needs. We have a mutual responsibility to one another. We have a ministry to one another, to serve one another, to sing over one another, to stir one another up, uh, to love and to good works. We need to be constantly reminded that we've been welcomed into the presence of the Lord and we need to be constantly stirred up to love and good works so that we don't drift into apathy and indifference in our walk with the Lord. So for faithful followers of Jesus, even in the 21st century, we have to understand gathering together for worship is not intended just to be an optional add-on of something that we do if we have time, fundamental to our identity, is that we are people who gather. As we gather together, our our public worshiping is a public testimony and witness to the outside world. When we set aside that time, whenever it is that you gather, whether it's with our church family or a different church, that consistent attendance, that consistent uh, setting aside that time and making it the priority of our week, it is a consistent testimony and witness to the watching outside world that this is a priority in our lives that we love this even more than rest. We love this even more than leisure, that fundamental to our identity as the ecclesia is that we're going to assemble and we're going to gather. So you know, for many of you watching, this is already true. Uh, you're eager to, to be back in person. You can't wait uh, for us to regather as a church or for the opportunity to regather with your church. Maybe your church already has started to do that by this point in time and we, we, we praise God for that. Uh, but you know, maybe some of you, you've, you're in a place where you just, you're just kind of disconnected for a season or uh, maybe you've never been in the church at all before. And, and as things start to open back up, and in a lot of ways we mark a transition into a new season, you have a fantastic opportunity to re-engage the mission of God by participating in worship with the local church. This is fundamental to our DNA as followers of Jesus. We be people who gather and we simply don't function the way God intends for us to function when we just worship alone in isolation, disconnected from the body of believers. Again, for some that's necessary during this season. There's, there's nothing that you can do about it or anyone else can do. You're just, you're, you have to stay home, and, and that's, that's hard and that's difficult. And so I know our church or hopefully your church is making it possible for you to still be able to engage in worship uh, from where you are. But for many of us who are going to have the opportunity to regather, it's my desire that we would make this among the preeminent priorities of our week every single week is the worship gathering uh, with the body of believers. So um, this is my challenge to you. If this is not already true in your home. This is not already true in your life. That you would make the weekly worship gathering with your local church, with our local church, wherever you are, that you would make that a non negotiable on your family's calendar. You just set that at the beginning of time, say this is when our family, because it's fundamental to our identity as followers of Jesus, will gather together, we will assemble together, not just because I need to get something out of this, but because I have a responsibility to equip, to edify, and to strengthen the body by my presence being there every single week. But again, the Lord doesn't want our begrudging submission in this. We, We don't go to church because we're somehow trying to work for our salvation. We don't gather to be saved. We gather because we are saved. And that's the natural overflow of a soul that is well-rested in Jesus Christ, is that we are eager to gather together with his body of his redeemed people that he has purchased at the cost of his own blood so that we can be reminded that the veil of the temple has been torn in two, that we can boldly enter into the presence of God, we can participate in his mission by connecting to the local church as we advance the gospel to the ends of the earth For his glory. So thanks so much for joining in again this week. Next week, we are going to wrap up this series by looking at the rhythms of silence and solitude. Thanks for joining in. We'll see you next week.